Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I will be interviewing a number of amazing people and simply having a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's s-double-e-changehappen.co.uk. You'll be able to catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 26, with the title, Me, My Hormones, and I. And I have the absolute honor and privilege to be joined by Lauren Chiron. Lauren describes herself as an executive coach and menopause at work specialist. When I asked Lauren to describe her superpower, she said, tenacity, getting shit done, especially those things that others barely talk about. Hello, Lauren. Hi, Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, no, really well, really well, thank you. It's really great to catch up. Fantastic. So, Lauren, me, my hormones and I, what's that about? Tell us. Oh, that's um, that's really interesting. Well, to me, it was quite interesting. I would like to take you back to the 5th of November, 2014. I was called into a meeting with my boss, which in itself was quite unusual because normally we caught up in between meetings on the way in and out of work. And I was also quite excited because it was my birthday. So I thought he had something in store for me. However, I wasn't prepared for the surprise that he did deliver when I went into his office. The conversation, which I shall abbreviate for you, went along the lines of, you're walking around this place as if you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. It's not exactly becoming of a female leader in this organization. And you were happier when you did that personal trainer thing you used to do. So perhaps you ought to have a think about that. Well, let me tell you, whatever self-esteem or self-confidence I had before that meeting was down in a dark, dark place by the time I stepped out. And I knew I had to go and get some space between myself and the office. And I worked for home, from home for a little while. I took my son on holiday for a few days. And during that holiday, I laughed, joked, sang, built snow castles and igloos, had an absolute ball with my eight-year-old. We're in Iceland and slept like a log every night on the last night of the holiday as he fell asleep I sat bolt upright in my bed and burst into tears it suddenly dawned on me what my boss was trying to tell me he was basically saying that I was a shadow of my former self that I wasn't behaving in a way that he was used to and when I looked back I realized I hadn't slept for 18 months I was exhausted I was kind of wired and tired at the same time all all day every day I was working longer and harder. I was training really hard for a marathon. I was doing a full-time job with teams in America, India, and the UK. I delivered regulatory change projects for financial services, and I thrived in my work. But I was finding I'd be sitting in a meeting and, you know, planning. <laughs> Planning's fundamental to what I do, right? But I'd sit in a meeting and I'd choose 15 different sentences to describe the word plan because I couldn't get it out of my head. And my memory was shot. I couldn't recall names. I couldn't remember which meeting I had to be in and when. I had self-esteem issues. I had palpitations, anxiety attacks, all sorts of things. And I just thought I had completely lost it. So ultimately, I left my job thinking I'd early onset dementia in my early 40s. So you can imagine my surprise when my GP told me I had just been through an early menopause. I was basically the happiest menopausal woman in Bristol. And literally in that moment, I knew what I had to do, and that was to make sure no other employer lost their talent because of lack of understanding of a natural life stage, and no other woman could blindly walk into perimenopause and menopause without knowing what was going on. So that's kind of where it all started for me, Joe. Wow, that's a, a story. I mean, this company you were working for six years ago wasn't a small company. It was a big multinational organization, wasn't it? So um, it was It was a large organization. Yeah. And I think back then organizations were not menopause savvy, were not menopause aware. It wasn't something that was on the agenda. So 
I don't, you know, it's not, there's nothing about size of organization or I think it's just, we're, we're living in very fast moving and changing times. And it's been great to, you know, have on my books brilliant organizations now that are looking to make significant change and are really waking up to the fact that there are more women in work now than ever before. We're working longer and later in our lives and holding more senior roles. So we really need to change the landscape that we work in. So you, you, you're looking back and you're not casting any blame. It was just contextually at that time, six years ago, that was the way of the world. People didn't talk about it. It wasn't you being treated less fairly. Just they, they were quite right almost in their observations that you weren't the person you used to be. Absolutely. I think it was quite interesting that someone <laughs> who's supposedly leading other people, bright, intelligent, etc., capable, I'd had an award and my bonus the week before. So all the signals were that things were going well. So that conversation really was like a bow out of the blue for me, but it was odd you know to to not know what you're going through and just to put that into context I was on I had my son just before I was 38 and I was on the conceptive pill that meant I didn't have a monthly cycle so I had no idea that my my period had stopped so I didn't know what to look out for I hadn't had the conversation with my mum I didn't have anyone else around me you know late 30s early 40s going through peri or menopause I didn't even know what perimenopause was so you know as an employee, you've got a responsibility to look out for yourself and be on top form, doing everything that you can to make sure that you're fit for work. And I believe an employer has got a responsibility to create the culture and the environment that is entirely inclusive and that you can bring as much of yourself to work as is appropriate. So, yeah. For sure. I completely agree. And and the last six years, the world of work has come a long way in that respect, doesn't it? It's We wind the clock back that far then many employers hadn't even thought about this well being inclusive you know inclusion belonging diversity wasn't really on the top of most agendas it was business as usual get stuff done and being nice to people wasn't really on the agendas really (laughs) no i think i've i've been very i mean i'm on career number four and i've been very fortunate to always do work that i've loved however I never had any challenges with monthly cycles. I never had any challenges when I wanted to get pregnant, getting pregnant. I did have a tricky pregnancy because I was offered termination at six months. And that meant that there was a lot of stress around the continuation. And just for context, my son is now 14 and a big strapping lad, although he's got underlying medical conditions. Um, You know, the, the, the children's hospital in Bristol is our safe place. And that, that, that's been amazing. However, even when I was working, if he was critically ill and I was by his bedside in the hospital, I still had my laptop on doing my meetings. I never took my foot off the pedal. I didn't think because I was a mum or my son was ill. Now, was that the business creating that culture or was that me putting my, the pressure on myself? You know, that, that's a debate that I think we could probably spend hours on. However, the, the whole menopause thing coming along just knocked me sideways. I nearly passed out twice in the office. It was bizarre, really bizarre. So you say that you, you, so you're putting pressure on yourself to work all these hours to deliver the projects and be a full-time mum and all the other things that went, went, went around being you. you. You said you're not you're not sure whether that was you putting extra pressure or that was kind of, were you in this kind of working like a man type environment where you, you know, wanted to feel like you were succeeding and keeping up? You felt like you had to be that person or was it a personal thing? So that's a really interesting expression, right? Because working like a man, I've never, ever had that phrase go through my head in my life. I started going out to work with my dad when I was four. He had properties. We'd go around and empty the telephone boxes of the two peas and the pennies. He'd collect the rent and we'd spend a Sunday, you know, counting it out. And he had another company doing contract cleaning. So I would help him with staff wages on a Sunday. And I've always just worked. It's just something, it was a fun thing I did with my dad. I never considered it to be something masculine. And interestingly, the sports I've done, like judo or um, football, a lot of what I've done, I've always moved in very male-dominated environments. So I've never, never questioned it. And the same with the jobs I've done; they've always been traditionally very male. And because I was very fortunate not to have any situations arise up until my early forties, where I saw the difference myself, I never questioned it. But it was only in hindsight, which is always great, right, where I suddenly went, ah, 
it was only because of my hormones that my behavior changed. But because I wasn't aware of it, I couldn't manage it and I couldn't take control and make sure that I went on that journey with my eyes wide open and helped get the right help and support from the people around me to continue doing that. I didn't stop being bright, intelligent or capable. Well, it felt like I had, but my I didn't lose those skills, knowledge and experience, right? So it was just about how do you change that masculine um, environment that women tended to step into around about the Second World War when we started really entering the workforce en masse? How do you change that which we've stepped into and kind of worn the mask or molded ourselves into what was there rather than trying to change it, which is what I think we're doing now? Because mm. it's interesting also when you were talking at the beginning, you said your your managers said to you, not becoming of a female leader in our organization. So a female leader in our organization, why not just a leader in our organization? So was that almost the fact that you're – your manager was seeing you as a woman rather than just as a leader. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Um, you know, the memory plays tricks with you, right? So I wonder if the more conscious I'm becoming of the differences of being a female is my recollection or whether it was just the fact that there was a passing comment about being a leader in the organisation. So I don't know if I would want to dwell on that too much. Okay. But you're now more hyper aware of your own sense of self and reflected back on that time and and almost like analyzing some of your behavior with hindsight and wondering whether these things came into play. Yeah. And I think I think yeah. specifically because I was a sole parent with a child with medical needs, I think that also made me think twice about ever considering taking time off or, you know, if I wanted to go and watch something at school or if my son was poorly, how did I make sure that I was A, there for work and B, there for him, which on reflection, I'm afraid I don't agree with. However, that was my choice at the time, but I was too afraid or too, I had too fixed a mask on to consider ever turning around and saying, I need to take some time out because my son's ill. Or I need to take some time out because my son's going to be in an event. And it just never crossed my mind that that was something I could do. I didn't know how to ask for help and support. I didn't want to be seen as weak because I didn't want to give anyone any ammunition. And these are all things in hindsight I realized it was because I was trying to fit into an environment that was not necessarily set up for someone dealing with the things I was having to deal with. You know, and this is way before menopause came along, but ultimately it's all part and parcel of the same thing. So you mentioned people that understand the difference between menopause and perimenopause. I'm not sure I do. Where's the difference? I mean, yeah, tell me. Sure, of course. So it's interesting because quite often women will, get in touch and say, oh, I'm pre-menopause, I'm pre-menopause and I can't cope. And I'm going, you're pre-menopause and you can't cope. It's not my bag. Pre-menopause is when you become an adolescent, your monthly cycle starts and um, you, just, you just have whatever is your normal, whatever that is for you is when you're pre-menopausal. When your monthly cycle starts to change a little bit, might become heavier or lighter, might be longer or shorter in between bleeds and you may start experiencing symptoms like brain fog, anxiety, sleeplessness, achy joints, and so on. That's when you're entering perimenopause. It's when your your estrogen levels are starting to kind of fluctuate. Your progesterone levels are uh, declining. And when you become menopausal, you've gone 12 months without a cycle. And thereafter, literally menopause is like a 12-month anniversary of your last monthly cycle, and then you're postmenopausal. Does that help? Okay, so... Okay, so uh- that, 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 that's the 12-month window, and you, you've no idea during that 12 months if it's going to reset in two months' time. So Correct. It's, yeah. So you could be exhibiting these intermittent um, periods, and that's where you're perimenopausal, where you're going through those last couple of years of, of your periods yep. and the cycle. And then you say one day you wake up and go, oh, <laughs> 5th of December, that's it. We're done. Had, yeah, we're done. We're now postmenopausal. Yay. Yeah. So you have so menopause days really was one day. Yep. In just your life. That. That's exactly right. Yes. But I think because you don't want to go around going 
peri to post menopausal journey, you just go menopause. And that means everything from peri through to post. It's, 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 yeah. it's the big, big umbrella term that everyone kind of understands. Yeah, yeah that's right. And I, I see that there are, there are many women going through a similar pattern to where you went through, where you're using contraception, risk masks, periods where you're taking them every day of the month. So there are many women out there that are probably not aware. And also, I suppose the most contraceptive pills give you estrogen and probably progesterone, progesterone at a similar levels to what you're naturally assuming. So you probably don't notice some of this tailing off, do you? No, if you're, if you're on um, certainly uh, certain types of contraception, you, you, you're not going to know. There's just no way to know unless you came off the contraception. So you really go by your symptoms. And if you are in your early to mid 40s up to your mid 50s and you're starting to experiencing uh, your anxiety brain fog sleeplessness um, palpitations itchy skin hair loss hair growth tweezers can become a girl's best friend and all these kind of other uh, low moods night sweats if you're starting to express you know ex- experience these symptoms then that's your guide really especially if you're over 45 then that that is just like going through adolescence. When you go through adolescence, you may experience mood swings, <laughs> slamming doors, um, different changing sleep patterns, all sorts of different things. It's just we don't expect that in women of a certain stage. So, so you must assume that women have kind of got their their life together by that point. They should be just flat, normal. Whereas they're almost going back to those early hormonal years where their their emotions are, are yeah going up and down quite, quite considerably, I, I suppose. It's one of the most common issues that women tell me about when I'm working with them that you, they, they, they've had this kind of cycle of behaviour at work. They know when they're more analytical or creative through their monthly cycle, where they're more reflective or determined, and then all of a sudden, perimenopause comes along, and the moods can be. You know, they can be quite severe. And in from one moment to the next, you can go from being happy as Larry to being in fits of tears for no apparent reason. And things will trigger you in a way that you just aren't used to. And then all of a sudden, you could be raging at somebody. Now, this isn't for all women, clearly, but it is not uncommon behavior for someone going through menopause. Since you mentioned one of your symptoms was memory loss as well, or just forgetfulness or... and. I've come across uh, people in my life where that's been a factor and that just assumed that it was just, as you say, early onset dementia, uh, a senior moment, people would call it, um, but maybe never associating it with, with the fact it could have been sort of perimenopause causing this. Mm-hmm. And what sort of ages would people that you've noticed that in be? I would say late 40s, 50s, yeah, kind of that, that kind of age, yeah. But people just talk about it and say, oh, God, I just, almost like it's on the tip of my tongue, but I just, they just couldn't get it out. Or, or or you have a conversation and they say, I don't remember saying that. And it's like, you just said that. Yeah, no, I didn't. I so class. maybe it is a, maybe it is kind of like that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I had a classic one time uh, to work the hours I was working and the type of position I was, I had to have support with my son. So I had a nanny. And one night I came home, I drove back, 45-minute journey from work to the house, dropped my, su- my suitcase off, my briefcase off, said hi to my son, walked back to my nanny, picked up my briefcase and said, I'll see you later. And she goes, where are you going? I said, I'm going to work. She goes, you've just come home from work. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing. So, so you could also manifest itself where someone's maybe um... – an administrator and they're doing a routine process and they keep missing bits of the process or they, they just don't retain some of the process and go, what do you mean? I thought I'd done that. that. That could be part of that as well. It's exactly that. So people may experience those kind of small errors in their work, specifically if they're doing detailed work. And that's why it's so important for employers to become educated and for women to really understand what they're going through so that they can start to put their own processes in place so they can have checklists, so they can set timers, so they can record meetings, so they can take more frequent breaks, so they can do the relaxation exercises. Because it's important as an employee that you take responsibility for yourself and do everything you can to thrive, as well as the employer obviously making the cultural changes and environmental changes that are needed. So you weren't really self-aware of what was going on. And I'm, I'm guessing that other people maybe listen to this and experiencing 
this probably aren't self-aware either. It's it's only when people maybe mention it to them that they go, oh, maybe you're right. But I suppose if you're forgetful, you don't realise you're being forgetful. Not until you kind of put car keys in the fridge and the milk in the, I don't know, washing machine or something like that, which as odd as it might sound is not that uncommon. Um, but I think I think quite often people, you know, especially in the workplace, people will notice your behaviour changing before you're conscious of it. And it's about learning how to identify that, how to open a sensitive conversation with somebody, how to signpost them to the right help and support in a supportive, caring way without them feeling threatened. And I often find when I'm speaking to women, they're like, oh, I didn't know that was part of menopause because there's over 30 symptoms and no two women experiences it in the same way. So it's... It fascinates me, and it shouldn't because I was there only six years ago, but it fascinates me that women don't know what menopause is. They don't know how many symptoms there are. They're not prepared for it, and they don't know where to get help and support. So, yeah, I'm really grateful to you for helping me open up the conversation that little bit further. Yeah, isn't it? My answer is there's still a lot of – kind of shame and stigma around losing one's fertility and getting this point in life, maybe the feeling of loss, uh, whilst someone may not ever want to have another child, but the fact they now can't Mm -hmm. is quite a big loss, isn't it? I've had a few clients mention that to me and we do, I do a lot of work on mindset with my clients. So it's very much looking deeper inside to them and what that fertility means to them, looking at the ages and stages of life. And actually Women of this generation experiencing menopause are going to live as long, if not longer, postmenopausally than they were in their fertile years. And we are the first generation to do that. And that in itself, when people get their, their heads around that and they recognize that they've got this incredible life ahead of them still, it's like the second opportunity to, to create whatever you want to be and, and do and have. And it's it's very much about, you know, that mindset shift and recognizing your role in life also and and how much you've got to give back so yeah there there can be that sense of loss but um it affects everybody differently but there's still a lot of um social etiquette where periods cycles sanitary products etc etc aren't topics for the dinner table that they're, they're they're whisper conversations and it's not talked about so is it any wonder that that many women don't share their stories with, well, I suppose it's just, it's just not seen as polite conversation, is it? So is that, is that part of the trouble that people aren't talking about it enough? I'm delighted to say that things are changing. Did you see the article about Scotland and sanitary products? Yes, I did. I did. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. I just hope that is the beginning of something that more and more countries will will do. So free sanitary products is is one amazingly positive stride forward. And more, the more clients I work with now, the more corporate clients that I engage with, instead of just focusing on menopause, what we do is we look at the entire female life cycle. So everything, all the changes, fertility issues, uh, miscarriage, pregnancy, um, you know, we're looking at anybody who bleeds and what that's going to mean for them, the impact it's going to have for them throughout their entire employee journey rather than just focusing on one specific stage, because I believe that the more we can open the conversation at work about what's going on that you can't see necessarily, the more we can create an environment that people are um, more engaged with, more um, tolerant of, and more understanding of as well. So it's, I do think it's a big journey, um, but I am seeing people being much more open now. Six years ago, people organizations were kind of like taking nine to 12 months before they would engage me to come in and deliver something on menopause awareness. Whereas now I'll be, it's inbound inquiries asking me to go and help them create their strategy around women at work. So there is a shift, but there's always going to be businesses. And you must find this with your work as well. There's always companies that are you know, the early adopters and those ones that will kind of lag behind a little bit more. Do you find that? Oh, for sure. It's depends on the size of the business, the sector, the culture uh, some are front runners out there trying to try, strive to do their best and there are many organizations that are just playing catch-up or, or it's not even on the radar so yeah you're right it's i think in a way that's it's just the way that way of the world i think you're always going to have outliers forward people 
And I think in a way, it needs to, it needs the front runners to set the examples and to and to break the ground, and and to show people what's possible that other people can aspire to and catch up. So I, I think whilst I'm often disappointed that that all companies don't focus on diversity and inclusion and uh, helping their people in this way, it's becoming the way organisations start to think, which is which is for me, I think we are making progress. Yeah, no, I am definitely seeing a difference, and certainly this time this year, especially given that we're recording this. Um, a time when COVID is still very much in our midst. I have noticed that there are more organisations asking to engage early next year to look at what their strategy is going to be and how they're going to put um, menopause on the table, on the agenda, and bring it to the attention of the senior stakeholders. So I'm really, really excited about that. I, th- I think I've, I've seen that as well. So if, I don't know whether it was COVID or Black Lives Matter or something earlier this year created this this bow wave of, of change or enlightenment. And I, I think you're right. Many DNI leads and DNI teams are starting to pull together a program of events around inclusion and identities and needs. And menopause is on that list in the same way that uh, racial inclusion, trans, LGBT, all, all these kind of the big ticket items are on the list now. And I, I think I, I spoke to someone this morning. Um, and they're, they're doing something very similar. They want to really raise their profile. We were talking specifically around LGBT, but they're also doing a number of other events uh, in a similar line. So it's, it's fantastic that you're yeah, you're really seeing that in 2021 as on, on the agenda. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And before um, March 20, I was doing a lot of work in the States. However, the time I've saved by flying back and forth between the States and the UK I've been doing far more webinars and reaching out to far more organizations, much bigger, more global organizations. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to companies now that have got a footprint in Russia to Romania, Israel to Ireland, Australia to Austria and beyond. It's been phenomenal this year to, to really see that reach grow. So I think that's really helped. And also with the flexibility and agility and the working ways of working that people have had to do. It's opened the doors to completely new thinking about what work means and, and ways of working going forward. So I, I think we've touched on that a couple of times when we've spoken. Yeah, yeah. So you, you've, you've also got a, a very active Facebook group, haven't you, where you support a network for women going through perimenopause, menopause. Yes. And you've had some guest speakers. And I, you know, I've watched some of the uh, the webinars you've done, which have been really, really enlightening and uh, yeah, and surprising the lack of information that's out there without diving in, you know, if I hadn't have met you, hadn't been on your webinars or been in a Facebook group, I would never have known half of this. Oh, wow. I didn't know you had seen some of them. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you invited me into the group. because yeah, um, I did. I did. And, I, and I, I looked through them because I, I, whilst it doesn't affect me directly, hormones do. So I have a, so if I stop taking hormones, I will go probably through a similar sort of um, cold turkey experience. Uh, so I'm very hyper aware of, of, of what hormones have done to me over my over the last five years, and the changes that I've experienced as a result, not just physically but mentally. And the mental changes have been, uh, well, I would put it most welcome because they have introduced a, a calmness and a and a th- way of thinking that I never had before. So I can imagine. If I ended up in a situation where my hormone levels fluctuated wildly, to have have that that cycle between complete complete euphoric calmness and not would be I don't, I'm not sure I can imagine how that would be. Yeah, and I think uh, so. I'm delighted that you've seen the webinars, and you're right about that hormonal f- fluctuation. The other thing that women maybe don't recognise in themselves is that they have testosterone. So it's another, it's, the, it's like the, the third hormone that can drop and diminish. And that's quite often women will comment about loss of libido, loss of confidence, loss of self-esteem. And that can all be tied into a drop in testosterone. Because whilst we have much lower levels in men, we still have testosterone. And it's a really important uh, hormone for us. So it's something that's not licensed for use in the UK. However, it can be prescribed so it's something for women to be aware of if they are talking to their doctor about hormone replacement therapy. But on the just going back to the comment you made about the webinars, I have in my team I have a GP who specialises in women's health. I have uh, a, an amazing guy who I've known for twenty years who specialises in CV confidence and coaching. Uh, sorry, CV career and 
confidence coaching because quite often going through menopause is when women really start thinking about a change in their career. I've got a hypnotherapist who specialises in stress and anxiety because that's way up on people's lists with menopause. And I've got a bunch of uh, fitness professionals, nutritional professionals, um, and myself, obviously, as the executive coach. And it just means that people have got a one-stop shop for all the types of support that they might need throughout menopause. And it's that's what's, that's what's come out of working with women and working with organisations over the last uh, six, seven years just to make sure that people have got the right support, the right access, the right information. And the, the, the webinars that you mentioned, I do every few weeks and they're in free, they're in the group. Anyone, you know, is welcome to access them because for me, it's all about increasing people's awareness. If we don't share the information and people live in ignorance, then, you know, that, that, that's not going to move us forward. So I just, it's just me doing my bit really. Uh, those, I mean, let's be clear to anyone who's listening. These aren't just for women concerned about the menopause themselves, whether they think they're going through perimenopause or postmenopausal. This could be for women younger to try and identify and educate themselves for later life, but also for men who want to find out how they can support women better in the workplace. And, and it's not a, a taboo subject. We want men to listen to these to understand how they can help better, don't we? Whether that's a husband, as a husband, as a as a partner, as a, as a as a son, or as a as a as a, as a brother or sister, sorry, brother or or, or or father. So it's important that men educate themselves, and it's not seen as a a, a woman's only thing to talk about. It, it's it's a societal challenge that we all need to embrace, isn't it? It is, and I think a really great way to bring that to life is an old friend of mine who. He won't appreciate being called an old friend, but a long-term friend of mine who lives overseas. When I got pregnant with my son, he moved overseas, got married, built a house, living the life of Riley with his his new wife. And they both had ideal jobs. They had their swimming pool in the back garden. And you know, for 10 years, I just got great reports of how wonderful everything was. And three, maybe four years ago, um, he popped back over. He was back over in the UK to spread his mum's ashes. And he told me he was getting divorced. And I was really, really upset for him because he was leading such an incredible life. Anyway, he had to go back home to sort things out, put the house in the market, put notice in at work. His wife was off long-term sick. And I was helping him sort out you know, a new network back over in Bristol in the UK, find a house to live in. So he put an offer in a house. He'd started going for job um, interviews. And as I was talking to him, one day he was just talking in the most beautiful way about his wife. And I turned around and I said, look, forgive me, but confused.com over here, <laughs> you're talking about your wife as if she's your best friend, as if she's, you really love her. And he goes, well, I do. And she is. I was like, I really don't understand why you're coming back to the UK. And he turned around and he said to me, we haven't been intimate for four years. I've tried everything. And I just can't live like that. I don't want to cheat, but I can't live like this either. Anyway, to cut a very long story short, we had some chats. I realized that his wife was perimenopausal and really struggling. She had really severe symptoms like I had, but perhaps even more so. And with a little bit of coaching, a little bit of counseling and some interventions, some medical intervention as well, they stayed together. However, there were two employers in their home country that had one employee that had left work, male, one that was on long-term sick, female, an employer over in the UK that thought they had a new male employee coming over that wasn't, solicitors for the house, selling, the house selling and the house buying on both sides, solicitors for the divorce, all because a couple were not menopause savvy and didn't understand how to communicate with each other and where to go and get help and support. So it's not a women's only issue. This affects employers even when they don't see that the person being impacted is being directly impacted by menopause. So for me, that story is a really good one to demonstrate how far reaching menopause is and the effects are, because the more we recognize it, the more we understand it, we can put the right help and support in place and just all get on with our lives. So, so you're telling me earlier that you, you went to Iceland. Oh, I, I mean, that's amazing. I was in Iceland in 98, 99. So that was, what, 20 years ago. Mm. And I loved it over there. We, we did the uh, the locals tour because we actually were there as part of a club and we 
we were being hosted by some Icelanders and we, we enjoyed a lot of their, their, their spirit. So it wasn't like a tourist, you know, we, we weren't being on a bus or anything. We, we didn't just see the, 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 yeah, the big ticket items, the glaciers and the, and the geezers and things. We actually sort of lived with them. We were experiencing some of their culture, which is incredible. But uh, no, I loved it. It's a, it's a really great place. and I, I really want to go back there. But one of the things that sticks in my but one thing that sticks in my mind was they hired this fishing trawler, and in the middle of the yeah, this was in May, so it's kind of still pretty dark and pretty cold and horrible out there. And they they set the sail in this fishing trawler, and it, it literally threw the net over the back, trawled up. I think stuff off the bottom, and there was urchins, there was um, clams, and things like this, and they were literally just opening up these urchins, and we were eating them off the knife. Wow! And scallops and the clams and things were just literally eating them off the, off the knife as they were bringing them up from the from the floor. And then we had this massive buffet, and one of the delicacies on there was puffin. I don't know how many puffins gave up oh. their life for this buffet, but there was there was like trays and trays of puffin and. Yeah, it was an incredible experience. And, and the way they prepare lamb, it's more like we would prepare steak. And it was like, the way they serve it is like absolutely beautiful. So, yeah, I've got some really, really fond memories. But, yeah, I'm afraid I, I did consume a fair few puff in that, <laughs> that week. <laughs> well, my, my um, biggest learning um, was don't go to Iceland on Christmas because everything is shut. Christmas Day and Boxing Day, everything, even the restaurants and the hotels are shut. So it's a very interesting time. But we were the ultimate tourists and had completely the opposite experience. But it was just the most stunning, beautiful. They're the most welcoming, gorgeous people I think I've ever met. My son can't wait to go back. So one day when when we can, we will go back. But it's beautiful, beautiful location. It's simply stunning. Yeah. We, we went skidooing on the glaciers and that was Absolutely. I mean, I've only ever skidooed once. I'd never, I'd never ridden a motorcycle before, and just being let loose on this thing, just running around the asses, and and then being shouted at because we would be aware of these these uh, crevices and cracks and faults in, in the snow in case you just went straight through them. So you had to keep on this very very narrow yeah, single file path because every time the the leader looked the other way, everyone was <laughs> five abreast racing each other down the mountain. It's oh, amazing. Incredible, incredible experience. Incredible. And I remember getting off this skidoo on the top of this glacier, and it was literally white below the horizon and blue. And amazing. it was that really gorgeous blue. And not a cloud, not anything, just white and blue. And I, st- I took one step off this skidoo, and I went up, up to my thighs in snow, where the snow was so unpacked. And it's and I, I was just literally, I, I was I went to my thighs and thought, how do I get out from here? One of my friends who was really, really kind of lightweight, um, he got off his skidoo and he was walking on the snow. It's like incredible. The difference between someone who was a little bit weightier and someone who was really light, who was able to walk on. But yeah, such happy memories of uh, sliding, sliding down glaciers on, on inner tubes. Yeah, I mean, big mm. donut inner tubes. Things like that. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic place, isn't it? Oh, it's the geezer, the culture. Yeah. It was just the ticket for me to wake up and smell the roses. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's a bit of a digital detox, I thought, when you were over there. Oh, it was phenomenal. Well. It was just the antidote to what I was going through. And it was just that moment of realisation when I sat up in bed that night and went, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what he was trying to tell me. <laughs> it was like a real wake-up call. It comes, it comes on slowly, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, we talked about this, you don't know it's happening. But it's so gradual, I guess, where over the course of many, many years, the decline is probably happening, isn't it? So you don't realise. I think it's different for everybody. And 25% of women will have quite severe symptoms if they're not prepared for it and don't know where to get help and support like I did. And 55% will have mild to moderate that will need some sort of intervention, even if it's just lifestyle changes. And 20% of women will sail through. However, if you have an oophorectomy, hysterectomy, if you have certain cancer treatments, um, certainly in the pelvic region with chemotherapy, then you would go into an instant medical or surgical menopause as well. And a lot of women describe that as being hit like a truck. So for them, obviously that happens at whatever age their treatments or surgery happens, and that can be a lot younger. Um, Menopause itself, actually. I mean, I was under 40 when I went through it, and the youngest recorded case was 12. So it's, you know, you need to be quite open-minded and, and, and just, we need, thankfully, uh, uh, sorry, excuse me, 
menopause is now on the education curriculum. So at least it'll start to get talked about at school. And that's where it belongs because we need to know about it from the get-go so we can plan for it <laughs> and recognise it. So is it a myth that you have to have HRT? Is that, is that, is that a myth you have to have it or, or is it not appropriate for everybody? So HRT, so I'm speaking as a layperson, uh, albeit a very well-educated layperson, and I'm doing yet another course in HRT at the moment. So HRT, if you're under the NICE guidelines are, if you're under 45, you should be on HRT at least until you're 51 because your body's not intended not to have the estrogen in it. Estrogen's got really strong preventative um, bone and heart health implications and that's why men and women will take it even if they don't have menopausal symptoms, they will take it throughout their entire life. However, because HRT got such a bad rep with um, some now, um, sorry, there there was a study 18 years ago where there were links between DBT, breast cancer, and HRT. And as they've been, that study has been discredited, but there have been other ones that have popped their heads up, but they haven't been based on the type of HRT that's available now. They haven't been based on um, cohorts where they are the ideal cohorts. I mean, a lot of women who have been studied who were over 60 or over, you know, severely overweight, obese, and they would be normally contraindicated for HRT in the first place. So that's not where you would start off when you were doing a clean study. So there's a big swathe of GPs now beginning to get educated on HRT, learning what it's for, why it's important. And as I said earlier, because we're living longer and later into life, if we want to be really active, cognitively and physically active, and we want our heart rate or to be everything to function normally, then HRT is definitely a consideration. But there's, you know, it's it's personal choice and it will be based on your own personal choice and personal medical history as well. As you say, things like osteoporosis, bone cancer, calcium, those sort of things. things. As you say, estrogen or lack of estrogen is one of the causes or the start of osteoporosis setting in, isn't it, where people, bone density, increase of uh, breakages or brittle bones etc etc so yeah but i'd I'd heard about uh, all about this uh, dvt blood clots the worry around certainly when they talk about trans healthcare the risks of of, um, estrogen and also the the fact that if you take in tablet form the liver it gets metabolized in the liver and cause liver problems which is why they often for patches or creams or topical um See, I'm quite researched on all these hormones. <laughs> I would, I would so, hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm an educated patient myself, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, people don't even realise that HRT comes in, um, you know, an IUD it comes in sprays, pumps, gels, patches, tablets. People don't know you can have separate prescriptions or combining prescriptions. Pessaries, yeah. Yep, you <laughs> name it. So, yeah. um, and then the other thing, well, yes, there's, there, there's all sorts um, that it's really important to, before you go to GP, because our GPs generally are not educated on HRT. They're generally not educated on menopause from if they have half an hour to five hours worth of training and their 10 years of training, they're doing well unless they've shown an interest in it. So it's really important to find someone who's knowledgeable, but still make sure you keep a list of your symptoms and make sure that you are read up on HRT through the NICE guidelines and clear on what conversation you want to have with your GP and be prepared to have two or three conversations with them before you reach a conclusion as well. Just be patient and um, be prepared to educate your GP to help you. So it's important. Yeah, I've certainly found that you need to be a kind of an educated patient know what you're trying to achieve. And I'm not saying we want to be a Google hypochondriac or, or Google expert, but certainly do the research yourself. You know, join forums such as yours, go into Facebook groups, go into other internet resources and learn about other people's lived experience. And then go to your GP knowing a bit more about you than they do and help, help them. I mean, I certainly found that if I go to my GP educated, I get a far better outcome. Yeah. And I think specifically with the menopause, um, excuse expression, but a lot of the online forum fora can be very bitch and moan. And I'm afraid I don't tolerate in mine in the menopause social hangout. We are, we're, what are you experiencing? What are your options? What are the positives? How can we move forward? And as I've said, you know, you, you've, you've experienced some of the, the quality of the people I've got in there to help support everybody who are educated and do know their topic really, really well. 
it's important to stick. I mean, Dr. Google can be phenomenally dangerous and very worrying. So I highly recommend people stick to trusted resources like the NICE guidelines and the bms.org.uk, which are the kind of go-to sites for people who want to um, be well-researched, well-read, and, and really good, get... lots of good info on the nhs.co.uk site as well as now. I've, I've, which one was that, right? On the NHS website itself, there's a lot yes. of good resources on there. So Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I totally agree. But yeah, hormones, is, I mean, hormones in, in themselves, we could talk about for hours because they have such a massive role in our bodies and they, you know, they're happening, they're going on, they're going up and down and fluctuating and doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things to keep us going. And the more we understand how we function, the more control we can have over that. But equally from an employer, you know, going back to the workplace, from an employer's point of view, if they can embrace the fact that hormones play a big role in people's lives and that that can be to their um, benefit as much as anything else then we can start to see people really thriving and doing work you know being super creative super analytical super you know just amazing at what they do by embracing the cycles and the changes that they go through uh, monthly and throughout their entire life yeah, and likewise, testosterone is also a hormone. As you say, women have it in smaller quantities, but also understanding about the male cycle of, of testosterone increase in the, in the mid to late teens and through into the early 20s is, is an extremely uh, powerful hormone in its own right as well, doing changing brain behavior and, and, and personalities as well. So, yeah, it's I guess every one of us is touched by hormones in some way. And, uh, yeah, I... I think is it the ovaries produce the uh, the testosterone in a female body, which is then converted to estrogen, isn't it? And uh, I was just just as you were talking, I was just slightly giggling to myself because I've got a fourteen year old in the house at the moment, fourteen <laughs> year old boy, and uh, we've had some very fascinating conversations. So so far, I think I'm getting off very lightly, uh, light lightly as a parent, but um, we shall see what's around the corner. It's when the musk and the odour develops, you know, you're yeah. right at that, at that stage. Yeah, yeah we, the, the we, teenage boys smell. Yeah. Sundays are carte blanche. You're not allowed to do anything on screens until you've done your bedroom. And that involves thoroughly doing your floors and thoroughly changing your bed linen. <laughs> so that's uh, paramount. I've got a recollection of, uh, of our son uh, going through that phase. And it made me wonder if I ever remembered smelling that myself i suppose when you're living with those hormones you can't smell yourself can you or, you, or your own musk mm. so yeah, it's i run out the door with the the deodorant or the perspiration whatever it's called you know the the, the stuff that they use and so no i don't think you've put your antiperspirant on today yet just want to take that with you today you might want to put someone at lunchtime <laughs> oh some of the conversations yeah. are hysterical but um yeah, no, hormones are so important, so important to understand. And when you can embrace that for yourself, you can just up your productivity in every aspect of your life. So really super important. Have a huge impact on your mental well-being, mental mm -hmm. health, even even how you think and some of your inhibitions and inhibitions. Mm -hmm. they, they do, I often think that they remote control you sometimes. They, they can take over your life and, as you say, experience you had six or seven years ago mm -hmm. where you realized that the lack of hormones or the mm -hmm. disruption to your hormones had a real impact on your cognitive function if you like mm -hmm. your ability to, sort of, to be who you were yeah yeah really I, and because one of the things that was always stood out i think one of the first times we spoke was how you described that sense of calm when you started going through your hormone regime and the kind of switch that that brought for you which i think you said was quite welcome would that be oh yeah it it was like i had someone else driving my body before mm -hmm. it was there was another voice in my head that had that shouted louder than everything else mm -hmm. and i think once i removed testosterone and increased estrogen mm -hmm. I, I i realized that that really shut down that, that extra voice that was unwelcome that's been unwelcome in my head for years mm -hmm. controlled actions that i was ashamed of or disappointed with myself Mm -hmm. uh, and allowed me to, to to have control of my body and my thoughts for once. Mm. And so, yeah, it was a real. Uh, I often describe that I went from being two people in my head to being one person, mm. and it fundamentally changed. I mean, apart from my gender transition, but my gender transition—the fundamental thing was the reduction, the complete reduction of testosterone, and the 
the overriding introduction of of estrogen. Mm -hmm. That was you can only explain, I think, what what happened to my head, my mind, the way I felt, the way I experienced the world, um, based on that on that that significant change. I don't think the social element would have had the same impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel so calm, so relaxed, so so unified Mm -hmm. in who I am. Something I'd never felt for the previous 50 odd years of my life. Amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I identify as a trans woman, as you know, but we've also got to recognize that there are trans men out there who are also mm-hmm. on a similar journey. Just because someone's trans doesn't mean to say they don't have these, they don't have the menopause, they don't have a monthly cycle, they don't have mm-hmm. periods, you know. And if we're, if we're being very 21st century about this, men can have periods, men can have cycles, men can have menopause. Mm-hmm where they were assigned female at birth. So we have to also recognize that someone in your organization who you may know who is a man may actually have, um, may, may be trans and may also have these underlying uh, uh, conditions as they grow older. So, yeah, it's not all straightforward. No. And I think that's one of the interesting things now. So I have some clients who no longer have male and female toilets. They have gender-neutral toilets. So one of the very first questions I, I, I ask an organization is, what pronouns do you use? How do, you know, how, what's the education level like in the organization? And I always ask them, are you comfortable with me using women to cover all people who were assigned female at birth, who may have a monthly cycle, who may bleed? And we just talk through what that means and who that includes as well. And quite often it's, it's an eye opener for them. Because it's not something I've really thought about before, but I'm always really clear that when I'm using terminology, what I'm actually covering when I'm referring to that terminology as well. So I think that's a big part of the awakening and the inclusion of, you know, what what I'm trying to put over to people, what I'm trying to get people to understand. And typically, you know, cl- with clearly your typical female audience gets it, they understand it, they feel relieved that someone's actually talking about it. And that's for the kind of en masse. However, I always find it fascinating because it's usually their partners and managers that come up to me afterwards and go, oh my goodness, I am so pleased to learn about this. Or I didn't know that there were 34 symptoms. Or the one that always touches my heart the most is when I get someone come up to me and say to me, I think you might just have saved my marriage. And that is one of, you know, especially with the story of my friend overseas, when I get a man coming up to me at the end and saying, I think you might have just saved my marriage. It's just like, blimey, why do we not know about this stuff? It's so basic. It's so simple. And it's so easy to learn about and do something about and talk about. But it's just having that confidence to say the word menopause out loud and to stand behind it. And I don't know how, when you were, you know, when you're going through your journey, did you find that your own posture and position changed when you're interacting with other people? Yeah, I guess I guess it did in terms of my what my femininity and masculinity is. is I think so. I'm thinking about when I would go to business breakfast and be one of few women there. When I went out on this journey, this part of my journey, I'd walk up and introduce myself as an executive health coach who helped women in midlife. Whereas now I walk up and go, hi, I'm Lauren Churn. I specialize in supporting organizations become menopause aware. And as my posture has changed, I realized that how I behave has a very big impact on the people I'm interacting with. So the more confident I am, the more sure of my topic, the easier it is for the messaging to land with other people. I suppose in a similar way that because I have a level of confidence mm-hmm. and self-belief and I believe I'm accepted more because I'm I'm, I'm sure of who I am, mm-hmm. um, and I'm confident about talking about things. And I, and I get engaged in conversations that are positive most often um, because I'm not shying away from who I am or what or or what I'm talking about. So maybe maybe I, I think I, I think as, as you said at the beginning, your mission is to try and make talk about menopause a comfortable conversation rather than an uncomfortable or or a non-conversation. So I think I do the same around transgender mm-hmm. uh, knowledge and people and just trying to raise awareness so that 
it's a topic that you're having, it's a conversation you're having rather than ignoring. And I th- so I think, yeah, in the same way you're creating positive conversations, I'd like to think I am as well, or at least when I run training sessions, I often say, does anybody, how many people in, the, in this in this training session know someone who's in this close circle as trans, gender diverse, gender queer, either themselves, their family, their friends, or their work colleagues? And often it's kind of 30% do, 70% don't. Mm-hmm. And they're quite relieved afterwards because I say, well, now you know me. You can all tick yes next time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I often meet people in when I'm out talking, training, even online, where someone in their life is gender diverse in some way. If not them, then their cousin or a friend of a friend's daughter or son or a friend of a friend's partner transitioned, et cetera. So I think we're, I don't think we're more than one or two degrees away uh, from someone who's trans or gender diverse. And I, I, so the conversations are becoming more and more welcome. I get more and more messages on LinkedIn. I've had, I've had quite a few, actually, I've had quite a few messages on LinkedIn from, from fathers mm-hmm. who saw the documentary I took part in and thanked me for creating that conversation in their, in their family. Mm. So I think if, if all we do is allow people to have a conversation and to start that that process, that, mm-hmm. that's the best. Bit. That's that that for me that inspires me. Okay, we can do more, but that is a really great first step to have that conversation and to talk about it. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. I just love when I, you know, one of my classics when I walk away from an event is to turn around and go, right, repeat after me, menopause, and I'll repeat that three times. Just getting people to say the word out loud three times, and it's just phenomenal when the whole room or, you know, on screen suddenly you just hear everyone take themselves off mute and go menopause and then invite them to do it every day for 21 days till it just becomes normal. And, you know, it's, it's just a quirky little thing that I do, but the more we can stand in our power and the more we can encourage other people to stand in their power and, and be more open and more accepting, I just believe we'll create so such a happier and more content, world <laughs> it sounds it sounds a little bit grand but it's so important well i certainly learned today the difference between premenopausal perimenopausal menopausal and postmenopausal and that the word menopause really is a, a, a kind of a one day event that you go yay it's been a year that's it but and up to that point it's perimenopause after that point it's, it's postmenopausal and before perimenopausal what you're saying is basically you're pre i you're in the prime of your life you're 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 growing up becoming becoming a more mature and that's typical for you and it's only when the, the hormone levels start dropping and your monthly cycle your periods stop for a period of 12 months that's when the, the menopause kicks in so if nothing else i've learned a lot <laughs> And I was a little bit educated before, but I've, I've, I feel like I've now got the, I've now got those that key facts in my head, and also I'm, I'm more aware, just having spoken to you about these, was it 30, 34 signs, of 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 the perimenopause and the symptoms that go on, that I'm more aware now of when I meet people. I, I even think back in people I've known over the last five, ten years, well, well, I'm now thinking maybe that. It's a factor. It's certainly in relationship breakdowns. You know, I'm hyper aware relationships are broken down. Some of my friends have, uh, have divorced. And I'm actually wondering whether this could have been an impact as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't want to close out in negative stats, but the average age of menopause is 51, which is the same as the average age of women attempting to take their own lives. There's a spike in women leaving work age 45 to 55, the average age of menopause, and a spike in divorce age 45 to 55. So I don't think it, you know, there is some research going on into this at the moment, but I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to put the, put the things together to realize that hormones have got a big role to play. So like anything in life, when you understand it and you accept it and you know what to do about it, then you are in a much more harmonious space and the help and support is all out there. It's just learning how to access it and knowing where to go to get signposted. So thank you so yes, much. That's the positive thing. So so how do people get hold of you? So you've got, as we talked about the Facebook group, you've got a website. So I'm sure that people are going to want to make contact with you after listening to this. So t- tell, tell, tell us how to I'll keep it really simple. Just contact me on LinkedIn. It's probably the best place to get hold of me. And my, my website is womenofacertainstage.com. I am notoriously bad at admin. So I'm not one of these people that's got this always singing, dancing, up-to-date website. 
if you want to see what I'm up to and you want to learn more about menopause, definitely join me on LinkedIn. You'll hear about everything I'm up to, all that I'm doing. And I'm always really super keen to open a conversation and see how I can help and support. And for sure, share this podcast, share some of the webinars you've done before, et cetera, et cetera. And I suppose if you're in an organization, have a, have a chat with you, see if you can do a talk or come in and advise, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And if anyone, you know, if anyone is struggling themselves, you know, give me a shout. If I can't help, I will know someone that can. So whether it's personal or professional, I can definitely get you on the right road. Fantastic. Well, I'm inspired and there's loads to ponder there. And I'm sure um, the listeners, anyone tuning in will have a, a it's a fantastic resource there. So a huge thank you. Thank you so for much. Your time today, Lauren. And a huge thank you to the listeners. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the end. Uh, please do subscribe to keep updated on future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Please tell your friends. Please tell your colleagues. Please do share this. I have a number of other exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you'll be also inspired by over the next few weeks and months. And don't forget, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let me know. Drop me an email. If you've got any feedback, suggestions, or anything, any other comments you'd like to make to improve the show, again, let me know. So just drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangechappen.co.uk. That's jo.lockwood at cchangechappen.co.uk. So finally, my name is Joanne Lockwood, and it's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye.